Hey, we're going to be looking at the work of the Spirit today. Um, it's really going to be an intro to 1 Corinthians. We will make it to 1 Corinthians today. But I want to, as we're starting this New Testament letter, I want to just touch base for some, you know, because I know some online and even some that I've talked to, you know, in the last couple of weeks that are in attendance, you know, during our services, you know, they're just new to this this idea or this experience of, a, of being a born-again Christian or, or reading the Bible. And so the Bible is, is really fascinating to me because it's a collection of books, 66 books in total, from Genesis to Revelation. So that's, that's it. God put those together. He's preserved them through history. No add-ons, no later-day editions, none of that. It's all this. With that, it's actually functionally separated into two sections, the Old Testament in the New Testament. Now, the Old Testament um, speaks of, uh, really, it, it, its central theme is to direct you to Jesus Christ. It's to reveal humanity's need for a Savior, and then God's answer for that. See, so the Bible actually brings to you and I the history of creation and the story of humanity, our, our condition, where we're at. And not only does it reveal the condition, which is uh, in a form of rebellion, it shows God's answer to humanity's rejecting him. So we have the condition of humanity and the character of God revealed through Scripture. What he does for humanity to offer you and I forgiveness and new life. So we have this Old Testament that speaks of the Messiah to come, gives the, 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 the condition of humanity, brings us up to what we call the New Testament, where it starts by order, with four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those four books give us um, an insight and a record of some of the things that Jesus did between his birth and bodily ascension to heaven after he rose from the dead, conquering death and hell. So in your Bible, you have those four books, and then it carries you into the, what's called the book of Acts. It's a record of the ongoing work of God after the victory, that victory of, of Jesus rising from the dead, bodily ascending into heaven, proven that he's conquered death and hell. So that's where the book of Acts is at. Now, it's interesting because as Jesus was speaking in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it was recorded, um, he had told his disciples, those that had that amazing privilege, I think, um, to walk with him physically, you know, they were there, he told them that they would have a relationship with God It was going to be different. It was going to be through the Holy Spirit. And they're like, what, what do you mean? And he says, well, it's the parakletos, which is a, a Greek word that speaks for one who comes alongside. It's kind of like saying, just like me, but not me. And so he's conveying to them and telling them the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, will come and he will lead you in all truth. He'll bring to your remembrance the things that I've said. He will dwell within you and, and he will be your strength and your power. And so what's interesting is he told them that. They're kind of sorting it out, of course. After the resurrection, they experience it. We have in scripture what we could say, maybe a way the best way to understand it, is one God in three persons. The tri-unity of God. See, the Father's will accomplished in the life of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
And that's why Jesus told his disciples that the Holy Spirit would indwell them and would be, he would be the one to give them the wisdom and the power and the love that they needed to be his followers. I believe it's where some, even in contemporary times, um, struggle. They're okay with the concept, the theory, the theology of, of, of a Savior and Jesus being that one, and, and they agree with the idea. But to be empowered by the Spirit... They're not necessarily so, but it's kind of like, well, if I just do this and this and this and this, and I do good things and I'm a good person, wouldn't that mean I'm walking with the Savior? Well, no, that means you could potentially just be religious. Religion is man's effort to make right arrangement with God. And when God says, no, I've made the arrangement, this is how it happens, and now I will empower you, I will enable you. And you, your part, is to utilize the faith that I implant to you to walk in the power of the Spirit for the glory of God and fulfillment of the Father's will. So you go, okay, and then of course all that, you go, okay, I'm, I'm trying to figure this out, sorting through it. Let's go back to the, to the book of Acts, as I've mentioned. What we know is called the Acts of the Apostles. More descriptively, it could be referred to the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the Apostles. The reason I say that is because this history book tells of some of the early work God did and is an encouragement and an example of the work he's still doing throughout the world today. What you read about in, book, in the book of Acts is actually still happening in Mountain Home, in Zimbabwe, in Bulgaria, in wherever you want to fill in the blanks. It's happening. God is still doing the same thing. That's why we're going to dig into this a little bit and kind of look at a few things because there's people in here that I believe are an encouragement and a, and a model. Um, not that we would try to be them. We rightly should emulate some of their life choices or the, their expression and hope to have the experience of God being with us and, and walking us through. One of the key figures in the, in the early church was a man named Saul, um, who came to be known as Paul. Paul, he had a life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ, with God. You may remember that story as he decides, you know what, I'm going to get rid of this disorder called Christianity. As a Jew, he figured, you know, I'm going to cut this off. He had a strategy, an angle. I'm going to go north. I'm going to get up to Damascus. I'll shut this whole thing down, and I'll just clean up the mess on the way back. Well, on the way up there to Damascus to do a work for God, God met him on the road and kind of blasted him off a donkey, so to speak. He's sitting there blinded, sorting out, what am I doing? What is going on? He had a phenomenal encounter, and quite honestly, he committed the rest of his life to sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, if you were here last week, you were like, wait a minute, I thought we were starting 1 Corinthians today. Yeah, we are starting 1 Corinthians, but we're going to look at what the Bible says about this great work God did in the port city of Corinth by looking in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, if you turn with me to Acts 18. In Acts 18, we have the ongoing story. It actually starts in chapter 15 when the first missionary journey takes place where Paul and others are just finishing up the journey. And Paul suggests, hey, you know, we should do somewhat of a kind of a reroute, uh, a follow-up. Let's go see how everyone's doing in, in some of these cities that we went to on the first 
time around. And so he says, okay, well, let's do this. And so verse, chapters 16 to 18 are that second lap, so to speak, of this missionary journey. Acts 18, after these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. Let's pray. God, as we would just consider that after these things, after things that had been happening in his life, things that had been taken, he'd been seeing your hand, he had experienced your touch, and he chose to continue to follow you. Lord, we would pray you would teach us your word today. I would pray, God, that you would walk us through in such a way that we would be receptive, we would be even eager to take hold of what you have to say to our hearts, to us personally, to us individually, and even how you would direct us as a group, a gathering. Collectively, how would we live out this love you placed within us? How would we walk in the spirit and not fulfill or give in to the desires of the flesh? Teach us what it means to have a deep and intimate and personal relationship with you, Jesus. May you even teach us from this lesson, from these, these passages today, that we could live in such a way that would honor you, God. Thank you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you do. In your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, well, let's just start in verse 1. I want to just kind of work through this rather than, you know, reading 1 through 11. We're just going to walk through it right from the start. Verse 1, we read that he departed from Athens and went to Corinth. Corinth, first century city. I guess the way I try to describe it, no, nothing personal. If you're from one of the cities I'm going to mention, but it was a port city. To imagine it contemporarily, Blend the perversion of San Francisco with the ungodliness of New York. Cover it with the commerce and pleasure-seeking of Los Angeles, and you have first century Corinth. So that's kind of a jumbled mess, so to speak. But it really was, it was an epicenter. It was a, it was a critical city for commerce, but it was so messed up. So immoral, so unethical. It was just so, to to live like a Corinthian was to really lower the standard and live in a very very much debauchery, very much in a terrible way. So Paul goes to the, he he goes to, to from Athens and to Corinth. Notice in verse two, and he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome, and he came to them. So the Jews and the Christians were persecuted in Rome. And so as that persecution becomes more pressure and then people are trying to raise their family the way they believe is right, there's a, there's a conflict between moral values, ethical values, a culture that's just shoving people down, and, and, and they end up going to other places. It's fascinating because that cultural effort to squelch the work of God resulted in the promotion of the work because people went out from there to other places and lived out what they knew to be true. They continued to live it out. There was significant cost to relocate away from this religious oppression in Rome. As I said, we're reading a history book. We want to apply it a little bit. Let me just say it this way. It's expensive to move from the Pacific coast inland to Idaho. 
And some of you have done that. You've chose like this, and this is, we just got to make this decision. We got to, we got to make this move. I, I don't see that necessarily as someone fleeing in responsibility or running away. It's just like, hey, this is just, a, we're in a different season. And, and this isn't the place for us right now. And I love this story because here this couple, they went to this other place, but they continued to live what they knew to be true, where they were. And so as they continue to live it out, as you continue to live it out, then just recognize, you just, you know, there's just times you just, you just move. You just, we have, I jokingly refer to a lot of political refugees in our local area now. And, and I understand why. And, and I, I get it, you know. And so... I look at this. It's a, it, you just, sometimes you just go, I got to go do this. Different. I go different. Look, let's look, at verse, look at verse three. So because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked by, for, for by occupation. They were tent makers. So there's a, there's a great connection here and something to realize that, you know, they connected because as we've seen in verse two, Paul found Aquila and Priscilla. He found them. In other words, he was looking to connect with someone. And so he makes a connection and ends up, end up having a, even an a, a, a occupational connection, if you would. As we try to apply these passages and we learn from history, I, I would just say one thing to realize, you know, sometimes connections just happen. Agreed? Maybe in church, you just connect with somebody. You just you meet, you sit, walked in with them or you parked near them or you know them as neighbors, or you know, whatever. And it just works really well. Though I love those times. But then there's other times that you usually have to look to connect. You have to make an effort to connect with someone. And it's really kind of awkward. You can't just go by their physical appearance. You can't go by it. You know, I mean, you just, you just, but you make this effort. Because we see this as a great connection. And what I see here with these, two, with these three, really, they were tent makers. By occupation, they work together. You know, they, they grow in their faith. And I believe what I refer to as occupational discipleship will actually make you a better employee. When you're working with somebody who is like-minded and you're able to, you know, just do your task, fulfill your responsibilities, honor God by being a good employee, you actually grow in your faith as well. Now, you can be sure Paul had some preference and some guidelines, if you would, concerning who he would be in business with. He didn't just find the first person that said Jesus' name and just go blindly into business with them. You can be sure that they work through a few things and they realize there's some, some connection here. Why do I say that? Well, because, you know, our lives speak of what we truly believe. Our, or the way we serve, the way we are, tells a lot about us regardless of what we say. As a young Christian, I had the opportunity. Well, it was just—it was a huge blessing. Paul Smith, who had started a company in Boise called Signs by Smith, and Paul was a solid believer, solid Christian. I'm—I've been working in the truck industry for about ten years. I knew him because I was painting trucks for that company, and then he had his own business. He'd come in and would do the lettering and all the, the graphics and stuff on it. So anyway, as I come to Christ, he really mentored me. We'd spend time together. He'd take time and just kind of walk me through. It was real encouraging. And, and after, you know, a couple years, two, three years or so, I'm, I'm growing as a Christian, and we had even golfed together, and, and just kind of spent some time. It was really neat how he chose to invest in me, and I didn't even know he was doing it. I thought we were just hanging out. Well, anyway, he said something that I wasn't ready for at that time. He said, you know, 
if I had to do it again, speaking of his business and having employees, if I had to do it again, I don't know if I'd hire Christians. I'm like, what? I never thought. I mean, of course, of course you would. And I'm sure he probably read my face with a little bit of shock. He goes, no, see, here's the thing. I pay him by the hour, and I lose at least two hours every Monday because they go to different churches, and they come in, and they talk about the sermons. And he wasn't a slave driver. He's just real. And I'm thinking, oh, the Bible tells you and me that whatever we do, in word or deed, do heartily as unto the Lord. And so there's times when you're at work and you're on the clock and you're paid to make widgets, make them, shut up, and do your job. And that's, I, would, I wouldn't have to say that, right? I mean, of course we know that. No, see, because sometimes that doesn't happen. If you're paid to be an evangelist, well, Mr. Graham, sweet, Billy, go for it. But if you're not, then do your job. It's a terrible thing to just stand around when you're getting paid to do something and you're not doing what you're paid to do. And then, well, Jesus loves you. And he's like, well, you're lazy. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I just think it's so important that we're willing to go, wait a minute. Let's do what we're called to do. Let's do what we're employed to do in a way that honors God. Here we see these two people working together, three people. Paul not only is fulfilling his tent-making responsibilities because he didn't want to be a burden to the people. He's traveling from place to place, and he's not going to just, you know, squeeze them for money while he goes and does his own thing. So he's willing to sweat and to work and to put in long days, and he knows how to make tents, so he makes them. But notice what else he does in verse 4. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. He reasoned in the synagogue. It's really interesting because we only also, when he was in Athens, just in the chapter before, and just before he arrives there in Corinth, he went into Athens while he was waiting for Timothy and Silas, I believe, and he went in among the marketplace. And he looked around and he noticed all these statues, these idols. And he looks and here's one, an idol to the unknown God. And he's like, wow. And then they invited him up on the Areopagus on Mars Hill to give a little speech and share his thoughts and called him a, a seed picker, just kind of blending all these different ideas. And he goes, well, I noticed as I went through your community and in your marketplace and through your city, I noticed that you have a, a, an idol to the unknown God. It was because they were so superstitious in their religion and have all these different gods. Like, what if we missed one? And what if he's like this, the lightning god or the bad weather god or you're going broke god? And we upset him. We better make a statue to that one so we know we were thinking, he knows we're thinking of him. Well, Paul says, you know that statue to the unknown God? Let me tell you about the God you don't know. See, he reasoned. He was in the community. He was connecting with the people. Reasoning means mixed thought with thought. To ponder, to uh, revolve in the mind, to converse, to discuss. See, Christians, sometimes we just need to slow down and be patient. Instead of talking about somebody trying to get the four spiritual laws in their head real fast, close the deal and move on to the next one, just chill. 
learn to reason, learn to discuss, learn to, to respect and engage with people who are not yet followers of Jesus Christ. Someone did that with you. Someone was willing to kind of engage with you and kind of come along. So we see the early church. We see this example. We see him reasoning as really just has had a love for people. And some responded. Some agreed. Some were, you know, with their own reasoning, they were persuaded. Like, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm touched. I'm, I see what you're saying. Some of the Jews, the, the knowledge of the Old Testament, now the, the covering, the veil was removed, and they understood the Messiah. They put their faith in, in Christ. Now, as he's doing that, carries us to verse 5, when Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia. Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. And I will say here, co-laborers, which is what they are. He was waiting for them. They got there. Co-laborers are an encouragement. Co-laborers, it really speaks of, they, they come alongside. So God, in the person of the Holy Spirit, brings us, brings his children alongside one another to share the truth about Jesus Christ. Christians, we are not independent. Rather, we are interdependent upon one another as we serve God. We, we're just a living example of it right now. You know, there's a couple people on the soundboard. They get to hide behind the monitors. Even if you went to look, you would only see Randy. You wouldn't see anyone else back there. because Yeah, they got their spot, but they're doing their part. And it's relatively quiet. I love, the, I love kids. I love being around them. But they're over there because someone's doing their part. Interdependent, agreed? You know, all, the, all these elements are so fascinating to me. So, you know, Jesus sent the disciples out. Two by two. That's not a formula. It's just that you need each other. And here, when, when Timothy and Silas showed up, Paul was compelled by the Spirit. I, I believe there's that, that camaraderie, that brotherhood, that, that mindset. Like, all right, man, so encouraging. Probably prayed together, had some time together. And then it's like, okay, Lord, what would you do next? And he was compelled to, to speak even more. But notice what happened when they, verse 6, when they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook his garments and said to them, your blood be upon your own heads. I'm clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. I believe this was spoken very firmly, yet in love. Not in any way condescending or I'm done with you. Because there are times when you need to let them know and let them go. And that happens in relationships, it happens in, in, with, with family, and I'm not in any way saying you just kind of turn your back on them. But sometimes people just won't listen anymore. They, they literally are just, just going to kind of go through motions, they'll be polite, they'll be respectful, but they don't want to talk to you about these things. And, and you're, not, you're not rejecting or closing the door, they've done that. Be open to interaction, but don't try to force feed people. <laughs> There's, there is an example of force-feeding people that most of us are really familiar with. So, have you ever seen a little baby in the high chair? And that little baby's in the high chair, and, and, and they got certain motor skills, but a spoon into the mouth is almost like a spoon to the eyeball. You really don't know where they're going. So we, technology-wise, we come up with some plastic or rubber-coated spoons. But ultimately, the kid's just kind of making a mess, so you, you feed them. Fresh from the satanic pit is called Gerber's baby food. 
nothing personal. I'm just joking. And there's this like green pea baby food stuff. Who? I said, I think it's a dentist who got lost his job hurting people, so he created this food to feed children. And so here's, you, you, you're going to feed this to a child, and so you stick it in their mouth. You're going to love it. I don't know who come up with the airplane thing, but it doesn't look like anything good flying into your face. And, like, and they squirt it back out. And so what do you do? You scoop it off their face. You scoop it off their lips. And then you try to convince them one more time. It's, you're going to love it. But you won't eat it. And they're already picking up on it. Here you, in you go. And pretty quick, you know, you're kind of getting a little frustrated. And I, I think moms have more patience here. Dads are like, you know what? I can get this in your mouth. But you, we stop because we know it, it doesn't work. Force feeding them isn't going to do work if they aren't hungry. There's a point where you have to say, all right. And, of course, this is what I know some people do. They actually taste it. And then they go get a banana, mush it up, and see if the kid will eat that. The whole point of the story, you just don't force feed people the gospel. You know, sometimes they're just not open to it. And you continue with who you are. You continue to live out the love that's in you. You live it in such a way. But, you know, it, there's sometimes we just have to, okay, you know, I'm going to let them see it because they don't want to hear it. And I believe there's a good example. There's several examples throughout the New Testament that we see this happening. So, carries us to verse 7. They departed from there and entered the house of a certain man named Justice, one who worshipped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household, and many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. This is such an amazing thing. They basically have the door shut. They can't go to the synagogue. But God opens up a door right next door. And then the ruler of the synagogue, Crispus, he comes into faith. And I believe his influence and then his awareness of the word of God, he, whatever, all this work of the Spirit is taking place. And many people are coming to, to Christ. They're, coming, they're getting saved. It's a great work taking place. Let's do a quick review. An application, quick review. Find someone to connect with. Find someone to connect with. You, you may have to consciously do that. You, you probably are in need of someone who can be an encouragement and you can be an encouragement to in your spiritual journey. Sometimes it's easy. It just kind of happens. And other times it, it's more difficult. But find someone to connect with. The second thing, be reasonable. Engaging with people and working things out. Let things kind of merge together. You're not compromising when you're respecting and carrying on conversation. Be reasonable. Third thing, encourage and support one another. You see this passage out of the Old Testament. Jonathan, Saul's son, Saul is the king at this time. Jonathan will take the throne when Saul passes away unless somebody else is assigned to the throne. Well, somebody else was assigned to the throne. David. And Jonathan and David were good friends. And Jonathan arose and went to David in the woods and strengthened his hand in God. At great loss personally, Jonathan was willing to raise up or come alongside and encourage David in his journey with God. And so I want to encourage you in that same Encourage and support one another. It can happen in many ways. A simple text, a phone call, 
a lot of different mannerisms and expressions that can, can encourage and support one another. The last thing we can see in review of this first portion, be a part of the work God is doing. God is doing a work. He's doing a work in our community, in these gatherings. We're just, we're just, it's, it's something he's doing. And I have learned to just stay close when I see what he's doing. I want to be aware of it. I want to be a part of it. I want to share it. And just, we, I just want to see, be a part of the work. They didn't have an agenda. They, they were just kind of trying to figure this out as they went. And God was teaching them how to walk with him. A great work of God has taken place. Agreed? You know, Paul is in a point where he should be excited. You know, he had spent... So, when Acts 18 would be about... 20 years, roughly, from the ascension of Jesus Christ to the resurrection. And so Paul is, is the instrument, the agent who's being used. And so he's walked with the Lord. He's, he's been a believer, Acts 9, um, say right about 10 years. So he's walking as Christian, and we see an amazing thing, amazing commitment, dedication. But he's been hurt too, correct? It cost him his whole family. He was raised as a Jew. He had become a Christian. He was rejected by the Jews. It cost him probably his marriage. It cost him physically and emotionally. And, and so here, as he's going along, he's, he is, he's basically, you know, tilled the ground. He's planted. He's watered. He's, he's nurtured. And now there's this harvest. There's a great work happening. It would be a time you'd be excited, right? A time you'd be like, yes. But look in your own life. You may notice, many times when there's this great harvest, we go through personal discouragement and even difficulty. Illogically. It doesn't make sense. We, we actually cause more weight on ourselves. We're like, why am I bummed out? This should be, I should be excited. Check out what we see in regards to dealing with difficulty and discouragement. In verse 9, 1 Corinthians, or Acts 18 now the Lord spoke to Paul. Remember, this is right after all this amazing stuff happening. The Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. Do not be afraid, but speak, and do not keep silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. The Lord spoke to Paul personally, in, in a vision, if you will, clearly, do not be afraid. We know why he said that. You don't have to study Greek. He said that because Paul was afraid. Paul was afraid. Paul, the one we, I believe, most of, I admire the work God did through his life. I admire his personal choices, his tenacity, his conviction, his, his, his life work. But he was also afraid. And I've never thought of him being as afraid. And when I read this, I'm like, whoa. There, something crept in. There's times you can see a great work, but yet there's just fear can, can sneak in and rob you. It can rip you off. It comes in all different types and forms. But Jesus is saying, do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent. So you know, right, what he probably determined. You know, I've been down this road before. I mean, I'm glad for this. This is really a good thing. I, I really I'm so glad this is happening. But I've taken a rock or two to the head. I'm, there's going to be opposition. People are going to come at us. It's just going to happen. I don't know what his reasoning could have been, but I'm convinced he had determined, I'm going to make tents. 
I'm going to zip my lips and I'm going to love Jesus. I'm just going to do my thing in my place and just be about my life and try to love God and, and, do, and honor him in what I do. He decided he wasn't going to speak. That's why he says, Jesus says, but speak. Do not keep silent. And maybe there's a part where he had forgot what you and I often forget. Because Jesus said, for I am with you. You may feel lonely, Paul. You may assume that this is going to be difficult, but I'm with you. What a powerful thing, a simple statement, but a life-changing reality for you and I. When God says, I'm with you. Yeah, but how come this person died? And how come that went bad? And how come this is so painful? I am with you. Because we go through those things, does, does that mean he's not? No, when we go through those things, we experience his touch. We experience his presence. We experience hope awakened in the midst of death and, and difficulty. And we start realizing that in our weakness, it's when we see his strength. It's when we're really drawn closer to him. He says, you know, I have many people in this city. If you went to say, I'll just use this place as an example because it's where you're at. You know, for some, when you first came in, you really didn't know anybody. And you felt kind of lonely and kind of maybe out of place or whatever. But after a while, you start discovering, you start connecting and you'll find out there's other people that are like-minded and other families with the similar dynamics. And you find other believers. And next thing you know, you find out you're not alone. You realize God has many people in this city. And I think there's a great work. I know there's a great work taking place. I get to see it. I get to be a part of it. I get to be a part of it with you. We're seeing what God's doing. There's many people in this city. And he stayed there a year and a half. You mentioned it's a, it's a significant amount of time because he just went to do a reroute, remember? He was just going to go, let's go back through and see what's going on. And then he settles in for a longer period. Maybe Eph Ephesus, he may have stayed there a little bit longer. This is one of the longest places he stayed. But notice he stayed there for a reason. He taught the word of God among them. Because when you leave and when things change and when people move, yes, they move along. The one thing that never leaves you, the one person that never leaves you is Jesus himself and the word of God. And that's why a church should put the emphasis upon teaching the word. We should be presenting to you the gospel of Jesus Christ, the totality of scriptures, and believing that as you receive it, you believe it, you take hold of it, you dig into it, you grow in the word of God. Because when you depart from here for whatever reason, or when you know, that time comes and you're moving along, you take what you learned with you. Yes, you have relationships and friendships, and there's a beautiful social element, but it's that spiritual nurturing that God does through the Word of God. That's why we teach it. I, I'm, a, I'm just not real broad in my understanding and experience. I've only been to Calvary Chapels for, for the most part. I've been to other churches. We, we around. So I, I didn't know churches don't teach the Word of God. Seriously. I didn't know that that wasn't the emphasis. I didn't know that when you go in, you, they did something different than walk you through the Word. And I was talking with the person, and they're like, well, this is really unique. I really like this place. You guys teach the Word of God. I'm like, well, what's so unique about that? And they're like, how dumb are you? I mean, they didn't say that. I, they, this said that, you know. And I'm like, what do you mean? They're like, oh, we've been... You know, we were in this and this and this and then that's like, you know, it's more the social network. It's more of a connection. It's, and I'm like, teach the word of God. 
That's what we need. That's what you need to teach and I need to teach. We need to live it out among each other so we can learn and be strengthened and really draw closer to God. Let's do a quick review of this portion. Four things to remember as a disciple, follower of Jesus Christ. The first one, so important. He is with you. He is with you in their hardship, in your difficulty. You don't fail him. You have to work. You have to kind of remind yourself that he's with you. The only reason you can even keep pressing that is because he tells you I'm with you. It's not feeling-based, nothing else. It's just he promises to always be with you, and therefore we know he's always with us. He'll carry us. Here, Paul, in a difficult time, he says, I am with you. Second thing we see is do not be afraid. Stay close to Jesus. Stay close to Jesus. That's what's so beautiful about this. Paul had... Priscilla and Aquila, I bet they prayed together, maybe even cried together. He had other people. He had this Christmas guy and others. He got a lot of encouragement. But he needed the Lord. And there is a lot of popular people. There's some even people in this room that are well accepted and liked. And they're lonely people. Sometimes the most popular people are the loneliest people. Because just a lot of different dynamics. But guess what? Never forget. Stay close to Jesus. Do not be afraid. He is with you, regardless of what you're facing. The last thing you see, or the second, third thing we go look at, thing to remember as a disciple, follower of Christ, you're not alone. You can be lonely. You probably will. I believe, personally, I believe loneliness is beneficial for your spiritual growth. Because in the loneliness, you find yourself crying out to him and him only because you've got nobody else to cry to. But never forget, you're not alone. There are many people in the city. There's many people that you haven't met yet. You know, you'll meet people as you choose to engage and interact and find someone like we see. Then, then you'll find that God is faithful. He'll connect you. Lastly, as a reminder in this section, do not quit. Do not quit. You have a calling. You have an invitation. You have this ability Learn what it is, discover what it is in this season, and live in that regard. Live within it. Understand what that would be because that, you know, there's just so many things. You can see how as we look at all this, like, wow, this is really practical. This is what's happening in this church plant, this, this new thing happening in Corinth 2,000 years ago. Let me, let me finish this section. We're actually on track, actually on time. It's just, this is a miracle. Let's read verses 12 to 16, and you'll see the correlation and the connection before we springboard over to 1 Corinthians. Well, verse 12, Acts 18, I'm sorry, Acts 18, verse 12. When Galileo, Galileo was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat, saying, this fellow persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. And when Paul was about to open his mouth, Galileo said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or wicked crime, O Jews, there would be a reason why I should bear with you. But if it is a question of words and names in your own law, look into it yourselves, for I do not want to be a judge of such matters. And he drove them from the judgment seat. So here's what's happening. This Greek ruler says, Get out of here. Get your little whiny religious junk out of here. Just take it. I don't even want to hear it. You can't. You go figure it out yourself. You're wasting my time. So he kicks him out of the court. Well, now this, this leader, because Crispus has been removed. Remember, he became a follower. 
So the new leader is Sosthenes. Verse 17. Then all the Greeks took Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat. But Galileo took no notice of these things. There was Greeks and there was Jews. This gathering of people took Sosthenes and beat him because he probably took the place of Crispus. So he was the one representing with these antagonistic Jews. These antagonistic Jews tried to get a legal injunction against Paul to prevent him from promoting the gospel of Jesus Christ throughout the land. The judge throws it out and then throws everybody else related to the case out. Sosthenes was probably in agreement with the antagonistic Jews that were thrown out of court. Being embarrassed by the Greek court, being embarrassed by everything that happened, they then took to beating Sosthenes. And now we can start 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother. It's very probable that's the same person. Four years approximately since what we read about in Acts 18, and now what we have here in the first chapter of 1 Corinthians, something has happened. Sosthenes, if it's the same person, and I believe it is, he was once aggressively against the gospel, yet is now united with Paul in the declaration of the gospel. Wow, isn't that amazing? Because I'm looking through this room and going, man, that's happening today. There are some of you who were aggressively against the gospel of Jesus Christ in years past. And your own story reminds me and tells me that I once was against him. And then I had my own version of a Damascus Road experience. And I found myself at the truth of God realizing that Jesus was God and I needed his forgiveness. And you, you come into a born-again relationship with God and now you're living differently. Previously, you wouldn't go to church and now many of you are like, man, I want to go. I want to be there. I want to grow. I want to connect with people. I want to know. Isn't that amazing? Also think of it this way. You may have a coworker, a close friend, someone near and dear to you that they're Sosthenes but they haven't been kicked out of court yet. You know what I'm saying? They're, they're still aggressively against the gospel. But just pray. Just be patient. Just be who you've been called to be and see what happens. I, I have this aspiration of covering some more verses. We're going to do it. We're actually going to just glance at verse 3. We're going to pick this all up next week. Verse 3 of 1 Corinthians 1. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace is God's unmerited favor, his undeserved kindness given to individuals collectively poured out on humanity. So this unmerited favor, we experience grace, and because we have an experience of grace, we have an experience of peace. Peace comes after grace. It's, it's a grace that brings us this, this peace. It's an inner peace, I believe, that's being referred to, a peace of soul. When you're right with God, because God brought this unmerited favor, when you're, you choose to go into a relationship with him, choose to, to receive his gift. Whoever believes on the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved, shall be forgiven. So choosing to receive that brings what we, we know to be true, a, an amazing peace. A peace that actually surpasses understanding, which means you really just can't, it's hard to explain to somebody who hasn't experienced it. 
because it's beyond explanation. It's just, it's so deep. Have the worship team come up. I'm going to close with the worship song and one more portion of scripture that I believe will help wrap it all up. So as they work their way up, we're going to have one more song. And if you would stand with me. We will look in Ephesians chapter 2 at verses 8 and 9. Actually, 8 to 10 is what we'll look at. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this review of history, but really we're seeing more and more of your story, the story of transformation that you bring upon people when we're willing to look away from religion and various attempts of men when we're willing to just privately and very intimately and very personally agree with you that we need forgiveness. We sheepishly and almost um, secretly, we ask for help. Forgive me, God, for I need your help. Forgive me, God, for I've sinned against you. God, show me this new life. Help me to live. Do what only you can do, Jesus. Put my trust in you, my hope in you, and I am so scared I don't know what to do. And yeah, God, I know you rose from the dead. You conquered death and hell. And so, Lord, lead me in this new life. Help me know what this grace looks like. Awaken purpose in my life that I would understand in a greater way not only your workmanship in creating me, but your purposes for every day for my life. Lord, knit us together as a group of people who love you and know you and want you to be known to others. Accomplish all you desire, God, for your glory and our joy. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. We sing to you. Amen. Amen.